All right. Well, it's really good to be with you all this evening. Um, welcome to our October family meeting or town hall meeting, as some folks like to call it. Uh, we have a we have a pretty significant um, conversation that we're about to have. We're going to talk through just some some research from one of our beloved scientists uh, who is part of our community, just understanding some of the things about COVID at the moment. And uh, we're also going to talk about the implications that that is having on our community and also the way that we're going to look towards the next the months that are getting colder. We unfortunately will not be able to meet some of us could probably meet outside for a long time, but for most of us, when it gets too cold, we're going to have to figure out some new um, and creative ways of continuing to meet together. And before we jump in, I just want to remind us, like as a, as a community, uh, we, there's two words that are really important to us, and that's formation and mission. And so we want to continue to be people who are formed in the image of Christ for the sake of the world. And so we have been dealt what is coming down at this point in time, but we also believe that even in seasons like this, that God is at work, that he's doing new things. And so we're really grateful for the way that the spirit's been faithful for what he's been doing in our midst and for the opportunities that we have. So I'm going to turn it over to Megan. She's going to pray us in and we're going to jump into some really good conversation tonight. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. Thank you for this good day. Thank you for our community of believers. God, thank you for technology that allows us to um, meet across um, spaces and times and schedules. And um, God, thank you for the opportunity to follow you in um, what for some has been a difficult season and um, for all of us has been um, a new season of a lot of unknowns. Thanks for uh, never leaving us or forsaking us. God, would you give us grace tonight? Would you um, continue to give our pastors and elders wisdom? Um, God, most of all, would you give us your presence and your peace in this season? Just ask that you continue to go before and behind us, God. Um, and Lord, we just pray that you would make us each more like Jesus. We love you and we lift our time to you. Amen. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Tim. Hey, um, my name is Tim, if you don't know me. Um, so uh, I've been asked to kind of describe where we're at with uh, with COVID and the, and the pandemic and what we know um, from, I guess, studying this. Um, so for those of you who don't know, um, I, I'm a virologist. That's what I do for a living. I, I work on, I work for Merck and we work on vaccines um, for things like, including COVID. We're working on two right now, as well as a lot of people around the world. So this is kind of my wheelhouse. This is what I do for a living. So that's why I've been asked to do so. Um, so I wanted to just back up and talk a little bit about um, what's happened or where, where the, where the world is now. Um, so, uh, the, the, by the way, the, the virus that causes COVID is called SARS-CoV-2. So if I use that term or coronavirus or SARS-CoV-2, that's the same thing. And COVID is the infection or disease. So sorry for the, I'll just, I'll try to be consistent. Um, so, so far in the U S uh, there have been about pushing 8 million um, confirmed cases of, of SARS-CoV-2 infection, resulting in over 200,000 deaths. 
Um, and just for some perspective, um, that that's roughly five times worse than um, than a flu season. So uh, it is it, it has taken a lot more lives than a flu season, despite a, a lot of efforts to to reduce its spread. So it is a very serious concern worldwide. There have been now over 1.1 million deaths, um, which is again roughly five times more than we estimate worldwide. Um, so it's a, a very serious problem. Um, like other respiratory viruses, it's we, we now have clarity that um, that SARS-CoV-2 is spread primarily through what are called respiratory droplets. So these are little bits of, of um, water vapor, water droplets that 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 are released as a person breathes, um, coughs, sneezes, etc. Um, and in the same way that colds viruses or the flu uh, viruses. Um, spread. That's how that's how SARS-CoV-2 spreads. Um, the to cause a new infection. So I'm going to talk a little bit about how that might progress because I think that's important for us to understand that. So as a as to cause a new infection, the virus needs to enter into my uh, into either my my mouth or my nose or my eyes to get a to to get a uh, a, a mucous membrane. To infect and then to take hold. Um, the likelihood that that's going to take hold is proportional to how much virus I get. So if I pick up uh, one virus particle uh, by somebody talking to somebody and one virus particle gets into my eye, the risk of me being infected by that successfully or from a virus perspective successfully is much lower than if I got a million um, infectious particles, you know, coughed into my face and I wasn't wearing a mask. So it's proportional to, to the, how much I take in. If I pick up one virus um, particle off of a, off of a doorknob and touch my eye, the risk is lower than if, than if I pick up a million of them and, and lick my hand. So, you know, there's just, we need to understand it's proportional. It's not, it's not plus minus. It's, it's how much risk I, I encounter more virus, more risk. Okay. So there's now clear evidence. Uh, I know before it was there was some confusion around it. We didn't know because you know we just had never studied it. There's now clear evidence that any kind of mask um, will reduce your risk. So you know there was a lot of talk early on about these you know N95s or what you can actually buy as these KN95s, which are a comparable fabric. And and these are are really you know a great if you can get them um, they're terrific they they have a very very small pore size um, and can reduce the risk of you inhaling or certainly releasing it as well but um, even these um, you know inexpensive relatively inexpensive surgical masks are now known to reduce your risk uh, as are um, the, the, the fabric masks, these homemade fabric masks that you might make. So in terms of risk, what you're trying to do is, is reduce your risk that you're going to release virus in, in a huge quantity that's going to get into somebody else and make them sick. It also, these masks work the other direction too, where if, where if I'm encountering somebody and they, and they release a bunch of virus and only 10% of it gets through the mask, and then a 10% of that gets through my mask, I've, I've completely just been cutting down the amount of virus. So less is getting to me. So the viruses kind of work on both sides of that, being released and being picked up. Um, if, you've, if you've worn a mask very often, um, you'll notice that over time, you, you tend to feel this moisture and that moisture is the respiratory droplets. So, 
So that confirms that I guess the virus, the the mask is 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 reducing those. The other thing to really to remember is or to know that is these surgical masks, these relatively inexpensive surgical masks, are also electrostatically charged. So they, even though their pore size might be small enough that virus particles can can go through, they're charged, and so they can pick up virus particles that might be going through and, and further reduce the amount that gets through. They're not black white. Nothing gets through. It's not that way at all, but they reduce the amount of virus that gets through. The um, part about washing our hands is still true. We, we still need to continue to, to wash our hands well and to keep surfaces clean and reasonably clean because if I pick up, you know, I touch something and then put, touch my eye, that's, that is a way that we could potentially pick up the virus, even though we don't think that's a common way of, of picking it up nor do we think that food is a common way of picking it up, although it's not that it's impossible, it's just not commonly done probably. Um, with the virus, if I get a, a good dose of virus and I, it begins to take hold in my system, what would I expect? Well, the virus is gonna, the word is replicate or reproduce, um, those mean the same thing in this case. So the virus begins to replicate or reproduce itself um, and then and then, in the case of SARS-CoV-2, um, I will begin to release. I will begin to release virus before I have symptoms. So, if the word we use is shedding virus. So, I may I may make some in my in my nasal cavity or in my upper respiratory tract. And if I cough or if I just am breathing hard um, or speaking, you know, vibrantly or singing, I can release these respiratory droplets that contain virus. Um, usually about two days prior to symptoms, if there are going to be symptoms, about two days prior to that, a person begins to release the, the particles, virus particles. And then they'll typically, um, our best data indicates that they typically, the, the amount of virus I shed it peaks around the time that I start having symptoms if I have symptoms. And not everyone does, but mo you know, the majority, it seems like at least two thirds are having symptoms. So, so I'm, I'm going to release it. I'm going to begin releasing it prior to having symptoms, and then right around the time where I began to notice symptoms, whether that's you know a, a cough or a, a fever or uh, trouble breathing, that's probably around the time where I'm at peak virus release uh, to, uh, to to those around me, and then it begins to tail off for about seven to seven to nine days. So think a week or a little more. It be, the amount of virus I release at any one time is, is reducing. Um, you'll hear about people who can test positive for the virus weeks later, and that's true. Um, and, and that's with uh, very, very sensitive methods. You'll hear about it called PCR. And if you ever want to talk about it, I can describe what that is. But a, a PCR method is super sensitive. And so just because somebody is positive in PCR doesn't mean that they're still shedding virus at, a, at, a, at an amount that's concerning. Uh, for those around them, um, but it's not impossible, but the, the amount of virus they're shedding weeks after infection might be enough to pick up by PCR, but not enough to, to be a serious risk to those around them, especially if they're wearing a mask and others around them are wearing a mask. So um, there's a lot of confusion around that, but we have pretty good data now that we know about how, how much virus a person has or how much PCR, uh, they're called cycles that a person needs to have to be releasing a, a good amount of virus. So we can talk about that sometime if you'd like. Um, okay, so the progression. So I get infected. Uh, the symptoms, if there are any, start showing up between two to um, two days, two days, maybe ten, up to 10 days after infection. So I may not have symptoms for over a week after I get exposed to the virus. 
Uh, and then the progression I'll go through if I have symptoms are, are a uh, what's called a viral phase. And, and this is your typical, it's what you get if you get the flu or something. You just feel crummy. You might have a fever. You feel run down. You're very tired. Uh, and that's and that's typical for viral infections. You, you'll you'll experience that, and that typically lasts for most people around a week. And then for many, that's they're done. You know, their immune system is is healthy enough to deal with it, and they're they're done in terms of they're not going to feel crummy forever. Um, for other people, they'll move into what's um, called a sometimes being called at least the cytokine storm phase. We don't know why some people progress into this and others don't, but a minority of people will progress into this thing called a cytokine storm. And basically their immune system is, is releasing all sorts of these, of these signaling molecules that are getting the, the immune system really revved up. And there's a lot of damage that that does uh, to the body. Um, so the immune system itself is, I don't want to say overreacting, but in a sense, it's, it's, it's doing too much. Um, and the virus risk is long gone or behind us. But the, but the immune system keeps revving up. And that's a point where a, a person might need to go to a hospital and, and get some treatments. You, know, you hear about people getting steroids. That's all to try to calm the immune system down. And that's appropriate at that second week. And then finally, the thing that, that is, is really kind of new or being realized as new for this virus is there's this, a blood clotting uh, phase after that that many people experience. Um, and, and these blood clots can settle in the lungs, uh, and caught, they may never get the respiratory. They're just having trouble getting, getting back. They're winded. They used to be a runner and now they can't run months after they've had COVID. And these are two to tiny little, um, blood, blood clots in the lungs that are, are, are hampering the, the, the ability of the lung to get, um, oxygen that can damage, it can damage the heart. Uh, the blood vessels are been, you know, they can they can land in your leg, and and there's been amputations because of these. But so the the current treatment for these serious infections will include some kind of blood thinner to reduce your risk of having these. You know, based on risk, if you if you have trouble with blood clotting, that's a different risk. But so that's a common thing you'll hear about um, with people who have these serious um, COVID cases and have to be hospitalized. Um, get blood thinners now. Um, so one of the things I guess I hope you're hearing is that our, our ability to, to treat COVID has really improved. I mean, if you were to get COVID in, in March, your chance of, of, of being, um, uh, of dying or being seriously, um, you know, long-term chronic problems with, with COVID have, have greatly reduced compared to now, praise God. Um, you know, we've made a lot of a progress progress there. And, and so we're really grateful for that. Um, there's, there are some treatments that are helpful. They're still more needed, but there are some that are helpful. Uh, we've learned a lot. Um, you, it, it's the fear that COVID is more ser more serious problem for the elderly. Um, and, and that's definitely true. It's a bigger, much bigger risk for the elderly than for the young. Uh, children, by and large, not all, but most children don't have too much problem with it. Um, and then as you go up in age, the, the risk increases. We don't fully understand that, but it is related to this, uh, this cytokine storm. It might be related to pre-existing pre immunity. We don't really know yet. And that's, there's an area that we need to figure out. But people who are elderly have very, uh, you know, have, have, have frequently have trouble with it. Uh, people who have um, uh, immunocompromised situations, maybe they've got a, uh, they're on a, some kind of an immunosuppression um, treatment or their immune system's just not uh, not up to snuff as people get older their immune system is quite not as active as or as effective as it used to be so they're at higher risk uh, people who have 
who are obese, uh, overweight, uh, people who have heart conditions, um, diabetes, all of these things increase your risk of having serious complications due to COVID. So one of the things we'll talk about is, you know, is, 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 is if I'm healthy, that's great, but, but I want to protect my neighbor. I want to help protect people who are, are not as healthy as I am, people who have asthma, people who have breathing issues. Uh, they're at higher risk um, to have serious complications due to that. So I, I'm, I'm going to talk about kind of risk in general to help. This is how it helps me to think about this and to get less annoyed with the person in the grocery store who's got their, you know, their nose exposed or they got a valve on their, their, um, their mask. It, it, so this is, this is meant to kind of help us live practically and, and think about risk. So how likely if I encounter a person in the grocery store or in my house church or whatever, how likely is it that this person is infected? Well, we don't know how frequent, how, how, um, how many people are infected at any one time? We just haven't done that kind of testing. It's not available currently. Hopefully someday it will be. But if you look at the, at the Montgomery County statistics, uh, of all the COVID tests given, about 5% of them are positive. So 5% of all the tests given, people went and got a COVID test, 5% of those are positive. So the, the testing, most people probably aren't going to get tests. Uh, they may be going to test get a test because they have symptoms or because their employer requires it, or they think they may have been exposed to somebody. So the actual, we don't know, but the probably the number of people who actually are infected at any one time are less than 5%. I, I think it's reasonable to think, um, you know, in Montgomery County right now, it might be something like 1% uh, are infected right now uh, based on these testing schemes, which are, it, it's a it's a ballpark, but I'll wave my arms and, and call it around 1% for this conversation. Of those that are infected, um, not all are releasing virus that it's at a serious uh, risk to me. Um, some are, but not all. So maybe less than 1% are actually um, releasing a lot of virus at any one time. So if I encounter a person and they're wearing a mask, um, then that reduces the risk to me. And if I'm wearing a mask, that further reduces the risk to me because the virus would have to get through their mask travel across some air and, and, and make it to me and get through my mask and then get in and successfully infect me. So, so there's, so as I go into a grocery store, if there's, you know, a hundred people in the grocery store, it's not that everybody in the grocery store is infected. There might be one person in there who's infected. And as long as that person's wearing a mask and I'm wearing a mask, the risk to me is extremely small. Um, people aren't getting infected in grocery stores. Um, or at least that's not common. Um, when people are behaving. So, so as, as you think about these risks and how to reduce them with people, um, if the other person's infected, then I'm at higher risk than if they're not infected. If they're not infected, the risk to me is zero. I can't get, get SARS-CoV-2 or COVID from a person who's not infected. So that's, that, that's important to remember. So the majority of people that you encounter are not infected and, and would not pose any risk to you right now for this, for this uh, virus. If I'm inside versus outside, if I'm inside, um, the air is, is not being circulated as it is outside. So the risk of me coming across a, a good amount of virus, you know, uh, thousands or millions of, of virus particles is, is much higher if I'm inside with this person than if I'm outside where the virus is going to be dispersed or diffused into the environment. Um, the distance and the time are important too. If I just walk by a person, 
uh, versus I stand in front of them and have a conversation for 20 minutes. Um, very different, very different risks. Um, if they, you know, cough in my face, it's a different risk than if they just talk to me. So there's, there's different levels of risk about it when you begin to think about this. Um, if I'm wearing a mask, if they're wearing a mask, um, if their mask is covering their nose or not, you know, all of these things are part of that, a part of that equation. But, um, you know, for me, it's, I was, I think I was sharing with Dave Bielecki that, um, you know, I used to go to stores and, and see people who, their, their nose is exposed or they've got a valve on their mask, an exhalation valve, which isn't filtering the air that leaves their face, their mouth. Uh, and they're, and I used to get irritated. And then I began to think, well, it, if they're, if they're covering their mouth, my risk is lower from, from them. If they're, um, if they're, even if they're using a valve, at least they're reducing their own risk. So their risk to me is less if they're not getting infected. So it helps me be a little less fussy um, with, with people who maybe aren't wearing masks the way they should. Um, I also want to talk about these super shedders uh, you'll hear about or super shedder events. So early on, it became evident that the majority of infections uh, are coming from the minority of people who get infected. So most people who get infected with um, COVID or SARS-CoV-2 don't, don't give it to anybody. It's, it's um, the minority that give it to, uh, to, the, to the majority of the next generation or next round. So we, we don't fully understand this, and I don't want to say it's a done deal, but there's good evidence right now that there's no such thing as a super shedder person, meaning a person who just makes bodacious amounts of virus and releases it in, um, in, in quantities that are, you know, thousands of folds higher than anybody else. It, it's not impossible, but we don't think that's what's going on. It seems to be that there's what are called sh super shedding events. And these are events where, where a lot of people get infected at the same time. Frequently, these are parties, weddings, reunions, um, things like that, where a person who's infected, who's releasing virus, they may or may not even feel have symptoms yet. They, they go in and everybody's, you know, we're, we're standing close to one another. We're laughing. We're having conversations. The volume's up. So I began to talk louder. And, and, and in those, those settings, um, or we're singing, which has happened uh, in a few church settings, in those settings, that's where you have, the, you have a large number of people that can be infected by a, a single individual. And those super shedding events are something that by using masks, we can reduce the risk tremendously, you know, essentially eliminate the, the risk of a super shedding event uh, just by people wearing masks. So uh, we can talk more about that if people want to. I do want to touch on just vaccines, just um, so you know kind of where that's at and, and have the right uh, hope perspective on that. Um, there are m multiple vaccines under development. I work, I work on a couple of them at, at Merck. Uh, we don't know if any, if any of them are going to be work or, or any of them are going to be effective, but that's why we do clinical studies. We're trying to prove that they're, they're both safe and effective. Um, hopefully by the end of this year, um, the, the kind of the first wave, uh, of, there's three vaccines that got, got started earlier than the others in terms of clinical studies. And we hope that by the end of this year, maybe one or more of those will have enough data to, to confirm that it's safe and effective. Um, that being said, I, um, I, I, can, I can tell you, I mean, I deal with the FDA. Okay, that's part of my job. And I can promise you that, that the FDA is very careful and, and if a vaccine is approved, even for emergency use, it will be only after it's proven to be safe and effective. 
So please, uh, if you want have questions about that, talk to me. That's part of what I do for a living. Um, but but if if a vaccine is effective, and I hope they all are, honestly, this is not a competition thing. Um, we're going to need there's a, there's seven billion people in the world, over seven billion, and we're going to need a lot of vaccine um, in in a, in a in a short amount of time. So I hope they all work. But you're, it's not going to be realistic that we're going to have a vaccine available to the wide population um, in any time anytime soon. You know, if if even in emergency use settings, we're talking about you know initially vaccinating people who are at uh, in the healthcare professions, for instance, people who are in settings where 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 it's very important that we get them vaccinated for the protect, protection of the rest of us. Um, and, and then in time that will begin to roll out to the general population. So I, I think it's not likely that, you know, the majority of us are, are going to have access, even if the vaccines, the first wave where they proved to be effective. Uh, I doubt it's that most of us are going to be able to get a vaccine anytime, you know, before mid to late next year. Um, I, I hope I'm wrong, but, but it's, it's a hard business, um, to make this stuff. So, um, that's, that that's I, I think we should think that way and and uh, if we're surprised, great. Um, but I hope it's um, hope it, hope I hope they're all effective and we can make tons of it. Um, I, it's important that you remember that uh, or that you know that the available data for this vaccine or for this virus uh, make it pretty clear that the vaccine, if there is one that's effective, it will it will protect against disease, not against infection. Um, and this is true. This has been shown true with the natural immunity. So I, I know that we've had folks in our own congregation that have had COVID and, and nat even in natural immunity, um, it, it protects or seems protective against disease, but not against infection. So a person can, can either through natural immunity and hopefully someday through vaccines gain an immunity that will protect them from getting sick if they come across the virus again, but it doesn't mean they can't get infected and make a little bit of virus before their immune system shuts it down. So that's important to think about because it's not, oh, I've had COVID, I don't have to worry about it. Um, that, that may be true for them, but it may not be true for you talking to them, meaning it's possible they could get infected again and release a little bit of virus, probably not a ton, that's for sure, but a little bit of virus to put you at some risk. So. Even if you get infected with with SARS-CoV-2 and you you know you get through COVID just fine, continue to wear a mask just to protect those around you in the event that you were to get a second infection and even not even know it. So I, I wish I had better news on that, but that's kind of the reality of it. Um, as we're moving into um, flu season and cold season, um, just want us to kind of just have, have our heads wrapped around that because the reality is you're going to be, you know, I just told you that probably based on testing, you know, maybe 1% in Montgomery County are currently infected. Um, but we're going to be going into grocery stores and hear people coughing. And um, because there are other viruses on the planet earth, it's a, it's a tough planet. So um, there, you know, be, between colds and, and flu, there are many viruses that people are going to get infected with, uh, and we're going to have the typical coughs and, and sore throats, et cetera. And so we're going to need to use a lot of wisdom in our own lives to, to, to say, hey, I've, I've got a sore throat. You know, I need to be extra careful. And, and just in the case, this might be SARS-CoV-2 or COVID. Um, and also with our family members, if, if, if you or one of your kids, you know, is, has a cough, 
don't just assume it's it's a cold. It probably is, but don't just assume that for the it is as far as other people that might encounter your family. Um, but it it's going to take grace as you're walking through the grocery store and and people cough or sneeze. Um, and just be re realized that most people coughing and sneezing right now are probably not, um, you know, don't not coughing and sneezing because of this virus is probably another one. That being said, one of the best things you can do um, is to get a flu shot. Um, as we're coming into that season for re two reasons, one is to reduce your risk of getting flu. Um, but you also you don't want to have flu and COVID at the same time. Uh, that would be a very rough combination um, to get through. And also to reduce the, the 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 likelihood that you're going to be doing a lot of coughing and sneezing and 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 um, and can making um, the story a little more complex in terms of uh, interpreting what's going on around me. Do I have a do I have a problem right now? Are other people around me are they at high risk? So so just want to encourage you to that. Um, so that that's kind of uh, I guess the the Reader's Digest version. Um, Tons more we could talk about, but that's probably adequate for for now. If you, we have questions, there'll be some maybe some time later that people can ask questions. Yeah, uh, thank you so much, Tim. Um, really appreciate just your wisdom in this, and also just to have the ability to, you know, yeah, just all the research you've done over the years on viruses and especially with COVID is really helpful for us. So as you can tell with some of the research that Tim just shared, uh, even though it was a Reader's Digest version, that this was a deep dive. And so as the elders, we've been talking about this stuff uh, for the last few weeks and months, and we're really grateful that we have been able to watch our community respond really well uh, throughout this entire pandemic. And the elders, we're just so proud of the way our community has really loved well, um, spent a lot of time caring for one another, asking questions. When things get hard, we keep pressing in, and I'm just grateful for that. But all of this has deep impl implications, especially as it gets colder. Um, it has implications with what is it going to look like for us to do church? And so I'm going to turn it over to Ben, and he's going to talk a little bit about some decisions that we've been processing and that we're moving towards. And so, Ben? <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much, Tim. Um, yeah, really appreciate all of that information uh, to help guide us. And uh, yeah, thankful also for our elder team, uh, the ways in which uh, they continue to seek wisdom and set our eyes to on Jesus uh, to inform our, our paths forward. Uh, we are also very, very, very grateful for our house church shepherds and the ways in which they have served and led in this season. Uh, our, our strengths in Renew are first and foremost the Holy Spirit uh, that God has given us as a gift. Uh, and I think secondly, the people of Renew. Uh, we are grateful for all of you. Uh, and, and thirdly, but not lastly, I think our nimble structure. Um, this has been a season where we've been flexible, adaptable. Uh, you may be even getting tired of those words, um, but it has been a season for adjusting and adapting. And uh, we're thankful that our structure has always been one that has submitted to the spirit. And we've also had a structure that is nimble. Uh, we're thankful for JR and the, and the launch team and, and what they sensed God was leading to them to. Uh, and that has um, 
positioned us well in this season. And so we've been thankful that we've been able to lean into house churches more heavily uh, over the last few months. And we are going to look to continue to do that in November and December uh, and through the winter with, with what Tim shared, we, yeah, with the risks being um, not non-existent, but, but fairly low, especially if we are wearing masks, uh, we can greatly reduce the risk. And we, we believe that our house churches can meet uh, indoors in the months to come as it gets colder, as, as the temperatures outside uh, approach boys and girls club in January levels. Uh, hopefully the homes of our house churches will be a little bit warmer uh, and will be spaces that we can continue to meet for formation and mission. Uh, so November and December uh, are both going to be house church heavy months uh, where we move into house church spaces to meet together. We are looking at potentially uh, one gathering um, either the fourth or fifth Sunday of November, uh, depending on, on what we feel is, is most wise for us as a community and also in terms of uh, physical space. We've had some conversations with the Boys and Girls Club, as well as with some other uh, churches that we've partnered with in the past uh, about potential worship spaces for us. Uh, and we're also looking at uh, potential Christmas worship gathering uh, in, in the Christmas season in late December uh, for us to gather for that special time as well. But for the most part, most Sundays are going to be house church Sundays uh, in November and December. And with that, we're actually also looking to multiply some of our larger house churches, recognizing that um, we can space out a little bit more and, and further reduce the risk uh, by multiplying house church, but also recognizing that that also affords us opportunities to be continued welcoming new people. Uh, we've had a number of new people uh, checking out Renew, coming to Renew um, because of our house churches and because of the ways in which we have engaged through this season. And so we're grateful for that and we look for that to continue. Uh, so so uh, especially some of our larger house churches, uh, multiplication is likely in your future uh, as we move into this position. Uh, so with that, we, we are in, we're looking for uh, hosts. If, if you have hosted in the past um, and are willing to continue, that's great. If you're not willing to continue, please let us know. Um, and if you haven't hosted but are willing, please let us know. Um, with what Tim shared, we, we don't feel it's necessary to, to bleach the whole house uh, before house church or bleach it all afterward. Um, a typical cleaning, wiping off some doorknobs would be would be great, um, but it's not necessarily necessary to do uh, a whole deep clean um, to welcome people into your space. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, we're looking for additional hosts. Uh, if you feel like the Lord may be calling you to step into a shepherding role, we would love to add additional shepherds. Uh, we need to to multiply, but we would love. Um, it, our best uh, house churches are, are, are wonderful spaces for our shepherds when they can get to do it together uh, and share that responsibility. So we would love to just add more shepherds in our house churches. Um, we're also, of course, going to continue with our Zoom house church. Uh, that has been a space that has uh, provided many folks with an opportunity for connection. Some uh, are meeting there consistently uh, and they've been able to connect and that's been a great space for them. It's also been a place for others to, to stop in when they're not able to, 
to make it out to be in person with our house church for various reasons. And we've had some new folks who have come and checked out our Zoom house church. So we're grateful for that space and we'll continue with that. Um, and we recognize that there may be some folks who, who even with the low risks, recognize that that's not a risk that they feel would be wise for them to take in terms of meeting indoors with their house church. And so if you feel that to you, please let us know and, and we can chat about that. Uh, and, and perhaps the Zoom house church would be an option for you uh, as well. Um, yeah, again, super grateful for our leadership, but really all of us, uh, all of you, grateful for the community, the ways in which we continue to seek to be formed in the image of Christ and love one another, point each other to Jesus uh, and, and share that love within our community and with those, uh, with our neighbors and friends and coworkers as well. Um, yeah, Doug, am I missing anything? I think you got everything, Ben. Um, I'm sure there'll be some questions and we, we're going to uh, have a Q&A time um, at the end. But before we jump into Q&A, I just wanted to uh, have Megan share a bit from what's happening with Renew Families Sure. So um, I believe it was last week, um, an email went out to House Church Shepherds, as well as parents with some options as far as how to move forward with um, kids and youth in house churches. And so um, what we have decided is that each house church can choose um, what will work best for them. Um, given their unique group of kids, taking into consideration the number of kids, the age range of the kids, and also the group dynamics. We're very aware that that's a, a very individual thing for each house church. And then especially with, um, you know, looking forward to multiplying, um, that will shift a bit as well. Um, so what we hoped to do, to do was to put resources into um, the hands of the house church shepherds, as well as um, the parents who can weigh in on that decision. Um, so I laid out some options. If you didn't get my email or if you had any questions about my email, please let me know. Um, I can order the resources for you um, and have them shipped directly to you. Um, and. I think that's that's all that I have. So we still want to be intentional about engaging our kids um, as well as our youth and just make sure that they feel loved and cared for because they are a valuable part of our community. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much, Megan. Um, I, I really appreciate that Megan started her role in Renew Families and then three months later, everything changed drastically. So we won't blame it on Megan, but I'm sure you've thought it a few times. But yeah, Megan, thank you so much for the ways in which you're helping us think about creative ways uh, to form our, our kids in this season. And um, I think too, it also is a good reminder as uh, for us parents that we have a, a remarkably important role to play in the discipleship of our children. Um, and I think one of the things that I just want to encourage parents with too, is that our kids are picking up on the things that we may be saying, and it's just important to continue to point towards faith over fear. 
Um, and so we'll continue to, to work in that direction. But yeah, thank you, Megan, for all you're doing. And so we're going to jump into just a time of Q&A. And I think the best way for us to do that would be uh, to use the chat box. And so if you want to send a question, um, yeah, either to myself or Ben, uh, or Megan or Tim, that would be great. So if you have questions about uh, uh, COVID, if you have questions about house church, if you have questions about uh, Renew Families, uh, we would, or if there's other questions and things that we may not have addressed, we would love to just spend a few minutes talking through and answering some questions. But uh, so we'll give you a minute to throw some questions in there. And I think we already have one that Megan can ask in just a second. Um, but the one thing that I, I just want to remind us again is that, and as, as Ben said, our, our structure is built for this. And I, I know that it, it is not where we would want to be. I miss being in the gathering. Ben and I were talking the other day and Ben said, I really miss setup and teardown. And we, we've mentioned that before. And I, I see Dave uh, Edwards kind of smiling because he was one of our faithfuls in the setup and teardown. Um, but we just miss those formational spaces. And it's really been hard. But we are in for probably, a, we're in for a long winter. And I think it's kind of settled in. This is what it's going to be like, at least through uh, through the end of this year into next year, maybe even into next summer. Um, but we also believe that even in moments like this, that the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the comforter, the encourager, the emboldener is with us. And so we really believe that our community is built for this because of what the work that the Holy Spirit is doing. And so for those of you who have just struggled in this season um, and you have not talked to anyone about it, Ben and I would love to encourage you to just reach out to some, either the two of us or someone within your house church. You're not alone. And I think the evil one is so quick to speak those lies that we're alone right now. And we need to make sure that we are moving in the direction towards Jesus and hearing him say, you're not alone. I am with you and I've given you this beautiful family to surround you with. So if you have any questions, um, and if there's any way we can be praying for you, please continue to let us know. It's just been such an honor to lead this community with you all and to be part of this community during this really difficult season. And so here's a question. Um, I'm going to add Tim here to this. Um, Tim, what are your initial thoughts from both a virology and elder perspective on the traditional format for house churches and what might need to adapt? Singing inside, holding hands, partaking in communion, sharing meals, etc. It's a great question, and I would expect nothing less from JR. Um, so... <clears throat> Yeah, I, I guess I would think of it in terms of a risk-benefit um, assessment, and and I know some people don't like to think this way, but it it actually helps me. Is is we 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 take risks all the time, and um, you know even before COVID, we took risks when we go to house church um, that we would get infected by some other virus. Um, so so, but. We, we take risks all the time for, for the benefit of something. Um, so in terms of 
house churches, if if we were to meet in a in a traditional house church um, and and people were wearing masks, as we're talking about, um, the risk of of having a, a you know a a bunch of people get infected by someone who is unknowingly shedding virus is extremely low. If we take our, if we decide, hey, we want to sing um, with our masks off, um, yeah, that's that that's in general a, a high risk behavior, um, and and so uh, unless the Lord, you know, promises you that you will never, you know, shed virus to others around you by doing that, I would ask you to keep your mask on if you're around me at least and others just to protect them. Um, the anything where you're releasing anything where you're, you're shouting or you're um, singing is going to increase these respiratory droplets. So if, again, if I was releasing virus, that would increase it. Um, you know, sharing communion is a very low risk. Um, that we need to stick things in baggies forever. Uh, it's it can reduce risk, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's probably not needed, um, to be at a reasonable risk level. Sharing meals, um, is a something, I mean, I can tell you that, that, you know, Cindy and I miss terribly, <laughs> um, and, uh, having people in our home and, and having meals, um, but it, it is increased your risk during that time because take your mask off to to eat but if but if it's viewed as hey the benefit of this is it outweighs the risk then i'm not saying it should never be done i mean people i i I don't think it's unreasonable for people who go to a restaurant and and sit across from another couple especially outside and have these conversations there is risk there more than if they stayed home, but if it's worth the benefit to them. So I just think we have to think of it in terms of, of risk and benefit and be really sensitive to other people who may not have great immune systems, who may have high risk, um, high risk physical characteristics and or concerns, even just concerns that we need to respect those uh, and, and put others first and make sure that, that we're not putting people at risk who, who don't have the same feel about the benefit that we do. Um, I think I got at least a good part of that question. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. Uh, great, great question, JR. Great answer. Um, another question, um, if two people, sorry, if two people were wearing a mask and one has COVID, what is the chance of it being per, uh, transmitted in a house church setting? Yeah, great, great. I still, yeah. Um, you know, that's that's the practical question. Um, there's no hard statistics on this, but honestly, the these super shedding events um, they don't involve masks. Okay, so so they're it, it, that's just not um, what's happening. These are situations where people aren't wearing masks and in close proximity and having conversations in loud areas frequently. So I, I think if, you know, we, we're, there, are, there are physicians and nurses uh, all over the world who are successfully um, protecting themselves from infection and dealing with people every day who are infected and coughing and sneezing and sticking, you know, swabs up people's noses and getting sneezed on and and they're not getting infected because they're wearing a mask and the safety goggles certainly help as well to protect their eyes 
So the fact that we there are physicians and nurses who get who get COVID and die from it that's, that is happening, but it is uncommon because people are taking these precautions. So if 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 I'm wearing a mask and the other person's wearing a mask and there's good distance between us, um, I think the likelihood that I'm going to get infected by them, even if they're releasing virus, is is very low. And I think uh, sort of a follow up question with that. Um, do you have a recommended mask that was at, that was another question that was asked? Um, <laughs> the mask that I, the, the mask. Yeah. So, you know, certainly. And is, is, and then, and this is a K5 around. This is a mask that you can buy on Amazon. It's certainly going to be the best in terms of protecting you from others and also protecting them from you. It's not only charged, but it's got a small pores, et cetera. It's very snug, and you can see that as you breathe, it just comes in and out and, and it isn't leaking much. Um, the, these are, you know, if you buy them in bulk, they're going to be at least a buck a piece, if not more, let's call it two bucks a piece in bulk. Um, you know, these little masks, these little surgical masks, um, they are charged, they're less expensive. Um, they, they work, they do reduce your risk. You know, people do surgery. I want everybody to remember people do surgeries with these things. That's the point. You know, I have somebody opens me up and is standing over me breathing with this mask on and we don't have, um, you know, massive problems there. So they're, they, they are effective. The fabric masks, you know, it depends on the fabric and nobody, you know, you can't study every possible fabric, but there is good reason to believe that this mask is, is probably going to be comparable to if it's made of adequate, you know, decent fabric and is not, you know, cheesecloth is going to be able to protect me similarly to the surgical mask. So, you know, Cindy and I've kicked around the idea of just, you know, buying a bunch of N95s and handing them out when people come in the door and saying, hey, you know, here's your mask for the night. It's it's worth a, a buck or two to to cover that. Um, but it it's not it's probably not necessary, um, but it would be, you know, the high bar if, if I really want to be super careful. Um, fan, like I see. A, can I just keep going, Doug? I see a question about fans and airflow. Um, so a couple things are going to happen this winter. One is, you know, it's going to get cold. So we're going to, we're going to shut our windows, uh, at least for most of us, unless you're Cindy Gerhardt. Um, so we're going to shut our windows and, and as we do that, we're going to cut ventilation. And so the air is going to be trapped, uh, in the house for long periods of time. So viruses get released. Thankfully, this virus tends to get in these aerosol droplets excuse me, not aerosol droplets, sorry, respiratory droplets that again are going to come out and most of them are going to fall to the ground or fall to the surface in front of me. And that's what, that's what the six foot rule is about is, is that, is it provides an adequate distance. The great majority of the, of anything in my respiratory droplets would, would fall out before it got to you. Um, the, there is some risk that the, still some evidence and some possible risk that the, the, air, the virus can aerosolize. There are viruses that do that. They literally can be in the air and drift around. This virus does not look like it's prone to that, um, but I can't say it's impossible. 
So certainly if I have my windows open and I, I have, I'm able to keep the air moving a little bit or just able to move out, that certainly can reduce your risk. And if you can, um, you know, just sacrifice a little heat or turn the, turn the heat up and open the window, it certainly would help. Um, circulating the air within a room uh, with a, that's closed, uh, I don't know how prudent that would be and that it just gives everybody a chance to come across anything that I exhale. So I think if you could, but if you can move air out of a room uh, into a different space, I can, that would make sense to me. Um, especially if I'm bringing in some kind of fresh air. So depending on how the room is set up, I, I, you know, I've been thinking the same thing, you know, could I, could we set up fans in such a way that it, it moves air out of the room and, and, in? just, again, it's, it's just all about risk. Everything I can do to reduce risk that, you know, somebody I love is going to get infected if I'm shedding virus and don't know it. Okay. Air purifiers. I don't know. Um, Oh, sorry. There's a question that says, are air purifiers a good option? Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I suppose if the air purifier is drawing air in, uh, which is, I guess, what an air purifier does. Sorry, Joel. Um, as, it, as it draws air in, then it's likely more likely that that virus, if there's a virus in there, would get trapped on something. Yeah, I, I would think logically it could help. Um, I just don't know how effective it would be. Uh, I also wanted to mention, and this is not, you know, necessarily great news, but it's it's the reality. Um, most viruses that that um, that we deal with in the wintertime, they actually wintertime in a home provides kind of a sweet spot humidity wise. Um, you know, the, the humidity drops a little bit, and for whatever reason, it, most viruses do okay with that. So. Um, so I, I don't think the humidity is going to work in our favor, you know, having low humidity in your house. So um, whether or not adding a humidifier would help or not, I don't know. Um, it, nobody's obviously studied that yet, but um, it certainly wouldn't be a bad idea just based on other viruses that we know. Um, but again, it's not known. But the air purifier, maybe. Yeah, so... I don't know about Tim Ritchie's. That's probably for somebody else. Tim Ritchie asked, why don't the Eagles prioritize linebackers? <laughs> so I think Megan has an answer to that. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. And, and again, these are all fantastic questions. And I, I, I'm just so grateful that we have an elder who also um, is a missionary cleverly disguised as a vi virologist. And so thank you so much for sharing, Tim. Uh, we do want to be, uh, wise with time. And so just want to close with just, just a real quick thought. And then I think I'm going to, and then Ben's going to pray us out, but you know, okay. there was one other question that came through to me. Oh, cool. Go ahead. Um, and this is probably for Tim, but maybe others have an idea. It was just a question about, um, the, you mentioned the flu, flu vaccine. Uh, somebody's asking about the flu mist. Um, a live vaccine that some have recommended doing over the shop. Um, if you have any information about that and, and if you know where it could be found locally. Yeah, I don't know where it would be found, but, but, you know, going into the flu season, nobody knows exactly which flu strains are going to come around. So the way this works is um, the CDC and WHO and other agencies, they look around the world and try to 
you know, based on things, try to guess which strains there are. They assign the same strains. There's usually four of them that uh, the companies that have a, a license to make flu vaccines will, will make. And so all the vaccines will protect you from the same strain. Uh, whether one will be slightly more effective than the other remains to be seen at the, at the end of that season. I would not hesitate to get any of them. Um, I, I don't think one's more likely to be, um, I, I wouldn't know why one would be better than another. Um, and so if you're more comfortable with something that you inhale uh, or that's uh, um, injected or intradermal, I, I would take them all with equal confidence at this point. Good question. Any other, Megan, did you have any other questions sent? Okay, fantastic. So I just want to remind us um, in this season that we would continue to be grateful for the relational weight that we have experienced at Renew. And, you know, I was thinking about community this past week, working through the teaching and thinking about how I continue to watch community play out in this really beautiful way. Um, as one of your pastors as an elder, I just want to encourage us to continue. If there's relational damage because of this, we need to work through pursuing healing and reconciliation in it because it really, ha it, COVID has taken a lot from a lot of different people, but Jesus is the ultimate redeemer, restorer, healer, and the one who comes alongside us. And so I just want to encourage us to pursue, uh, to pursue patience with one another, to pursue understanding with one another. If we have a question that was that that has just come up in the midst of this conversation and you find yourself angry or stewing, I just want to encourage you to not let that fester, but have a conversation with myself or Ben or Tim or Megan. We want to make sure that we're continually walking with you all. But also like if, if you notice that anger, that frustration that's popping up, it's an important time to pause and just ask the Lord, what is that about? Like, what are you trying to teach me in that? Something has just lit up in me and maybe the spirit's trying to do something in me. And so just want to encourage you to continue to trust Jesus in this and also continue to pursue um, the Holy Spirit's reconciliation work in our lives as we pursue one another together in becoming more like Christ. So Ben, why don't you close this out? Jesus, we thank you that you are King of Kings. You are Lord of Lords. You hold all things together. And we thank you for your Lordship over the renewed community. And we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit to move in our midst, uh, to be our encourager, our comforter, our strengthener, uh, our counselor. God, we, we do pray for relational healing for wounds that we've experienced or wounds that we may have caused. Uh, we pray for forgiveness and healing. Uh, would you bring a unity to the Renew community and to churches throughout uh, the world that bears witness to the unity that you have, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And God, we thank you for uh, the wisdom that you provide. Uh, we thank you for the wisdom Tim has um, because of the research that he does and the science that he does. And um, I thank you for our elders, for our house church shepherds, and for each person within Renew. Um, 
And God, would you speak against any lies that people may feel, maybe hearing um, that they're alone, that nobody cares about them, or that they don't matter? Um, Lord, I pray that you would remind each of us that we matter, uh, that we all play a significant role in your body because you have created us in your image and you long for us to be known in community. God, would you uh, continue to form us in the image of Christ for the sake of the world, for the sake of those around us. Help us to love one another uh, according to how you loved us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.